there's a comic strip that's been uh, making the rounds, um, as I saw uh, yesterday. It's about a wife and a mother. Um, and the whole strip is about this woman and, this, and her husband. And the woman just being passive-aggressive towards her husband. And that's the whole skit. That's the joke every time. And so, you know, she'll, she'll say something to him, and he'll not get the point. And then you'll, you know, see in her mind what she's thinking. And um, she won't tell him. And it's just, uh, just uh, kind of a bitter, uh, a bitter complaint is all it is. She's just openly venting what, all the things that are wrong with her husband. And how hard her life is being a wife and a mother. And, you know, there's, that's the punchline every time is, you know, my life is hard and no one cares, and especially my husband. She's just publicly venting what she feels like. So uh, rather than that, it might have been a better idea to talk to him about it, or maybe she did and he didn't listen. But the, the whole thing is she's just venting. And there's no resolution to it. There's no um, hope in it. It's just just complaining about a bad situation. Life isn't the way that she wants it to be, and she's letting everybody know it. Well, is life like any of us want it? When I first saw that, I, you know, is I was thinking along those lines, but then um, I thought, well, life isn't like anybody wants it. And Sometimes it's confusing because things go the opposite way that we think that they should. Because we think naturally that if we do good things, good things will happen. And people who do bad things, bad things will happen to them. That's just the, the natural way. We, we have a, a law reward system in our minds naturally. And we think, well, if I do good, if I obey the law, if I follow God, then... God will bless me. That's why the prosperity gospel is so popular and people are so easily uh, deceived by that because they just play on what people naturally think. I do good, good things will happen. I do bad, bad things will happen. But what happens a lot of the time is that we will try to follow the Lord. We will love the Lord and, and do what we believe the scriptures tell us to do. And bad things happen anyway. And then those people who live a wicked life seem just to skate by. People who blaspheme God seem to have no struggles in life. How is it that people who love the Lord seem to struggle and those who do wrong sometimes don't seem to struggle? How is it that people who love righteousness are persecuted by those who hate good? How is it that there's poor and defenseless lovers of Jesus who are abused and hurt by blasphemers and it seems like they get away with it? And we know that's not the case in every time. We know the Lord blesses his people and there are some people who um, love the Lord and are just blessed beyond measure in this life and we know that many times wicked, the wicked uh, receive the judgment of their consequences in this life. But it's not always like that, is it? It's not always uh, just clean, cookie-cutter, this is what happens when you do good, and this is what happens when you do bad. Well, this psalm is someone giving vent to 
their, their heartache. It's a complaint, really, because they look around and life isn't the way they think it ought to be. And they wonder where God is in all this. The Psalms give vent to real human emotions. The, the psalmists, they didn't walk around glowing with halos on their head and, and holy uh, beyond the ability for other people to come. You know, their faces weren't shining. They were real people who had real problems and had real human thoughts. And this is a, a psalm in a minor key. This psalmist is really down. They're really struggling because they just don't understand why these bad things are happening. And there's no way, at the beginning of this, they're, they're trying to process, well, how is this? Why, why, is, why are things like this? So the Lord tuned this psalmist to be able to give expression to these thoughts but not just give vent. And the reason I was talking about that comic strip is, is because all that was was just complaining. Just giving vent to their complaints. Well, the Bible doesn't do that and doesn't want us to do that. There is a, there is a cure for this. There is a progression to these thoughts. Because these are just natural human thoughts. But we don't need to stay there and just become bitter and, and concentrate on things that we don't know the answer to and, and worry about things that, that the Lord hasn't told us. So what do we do when this happens, I guess, is a better way to, of, of saying it. The Bible isn't telling us we ought to think like this. The Bible is saying you probably do think like this from time to time, and here's what you can do when that happens. So we can think of the psalmist as an instrument, and the Lord put them in this situation so they could... And they would feel that pain. They would feel that confusion and that and struggle with this. The Lord gave them the answer, and then they they and then inspired this this uh, this word. So the Lord used the real situation, real human emotions, a real human person to inspire and give us this word of God. Now this is God speaking, but this is the way that He brought it to us. So. These are not just complaints about life, but the Lord would have us, when we feel like this, what to do, where to carry these thoughts, and how to think about these things. So first of all, um, we just get to the complaint in verse number one. That's how it starts off, and that's why we can title this psalm, Why God? Why? Because that's what he asks. Why standest thou far off, O Lord? Why hidest thyself in times of trouble? Now, is God really standing afar off? Is God really hiding himself in times of trouble? Well, we know the scriptures, and we know that he's not. We know that God is ever-present, right? That God is in all places at all times. So God is not standing afar off. God is not hiding himself. But this is his complaint because it seems like that he is. So there's a, there's a complaint here. Why are you far off? Why aren't you here with me? And so that's also the confusion of the psalmist. He can't figure out why the Lord seems so far away. Isn't the promise that the Lord is with his people? Didn't God forsake, say he would not forsake us? So why does it seem like he has? 
Why does it seem like the Lord is not uh, here with me now and, and blessing me and upholding me and, and judging the wicked? Why does it seem like he's far away and it seems like I'm alone and forsaken? Why standest thou far off, O Lord, O Jehovah? Why I am that I am? The covenant-keeping God, why, why are you not here with us? In the complaint, it's really confession, isn't it, as well, that, that the fact that Jehovah hadn't come to help was a confession that he helps his people. The fact that he asked the question tells us the psalmist knows that the Lord does help his people. Because if the Lord didn't help his people, if the Lord was impersonal and didn't care for his people and protect his people and with his people in times of trouble, then why ask the question to start with? It's almost like when the atheists say, well, why didn't God help so-and-so? Well, why do you suppose that he would, right? In their heart, they, they know at least that God would be with his people. So the fact that they ask that question just tells us that they, know, they instinctively know that God helps his people. And so, well, I don't believe in the God. Yeah, but then why, how did you perceive the question to ask, well, why doesn't God help his people? Well, it's sort of a confession that, that I know that the Lord has promised to help us and to be with us and stand with us. So why haven't you? Why does it seem that you're not? So he's really confessing that God could come and help. He was able to. That the Lord, it's also a confession that the Lord knew the situation. Because this is a, he's saying, why are you afar off? Why are you hiding yourself? Why are you purposely not here? So it's a confession that the Lord knew his trials. Now again, the Bible's not telling us to think like this. But this is just an honest venting of how he does feel. The Lord knows how you feel. The Lord knows how you think. He knows what you think. So there's no sense hiding that from God. And so the psalmist did. The psalmist said, I'm confused. I don't understand this situation. And so he prays unto God. Because that's who he's praying to, right? Why standest thou afar? afar off, O Lord. So it's a prayer to God. So, and he must understand that the Lord is not afar off because he's praying to him. If the Lord was hiding himself or afar off, then how could he pray to him? Or how could he believe that his prayers were being heard? So he's just, he, he's confused. He doesn't understand what's happening. And so he's honest with the Lord. And he's open with the Lord. And then he, he's, he's just letting, letting the Lord, or praying to the Lord for help. So what's the situation? Why is this happening? Well, in ver starting in verse number 2, all the way down to verse 13, the psalmist tells us all the things that are going on in his life, and all the things that are going on with the people. And it all has to do with the wicked. If you just scan your eyes down through there, you see the wicked repeated several times. The wicked are the people who are giving him the problem. In verse number three, for the wicked boasteth of his heart's desire and blesseth the covetous whom the Lord abhorreth. 
The wicked through pride of his countenance will not seek after God. God is not in all of his thoughts. So there's the wicked heart is plaguing God's people. His pride, his boasting, his arrogance, his covetousness, all these things are what God hates. So he starts on the inside. This is not just somebody making a mistake and somebody um, sinning unawares, a presumptuous sin, maybe a, a sin of ignorance. No, this is, this is a group of people from the inside out are wicked. Thinking ways that God hates and, and acting ways that God hates. So the Lord has told us in the book of Proverbs chapter 6 some things that God hates. Well, here's um, two of them. The, a proud heart and a proud countenance. Um, they're, they're not seeking after God. They're not thinking about God. So it starts with a wicked heart. Then goes into wicked actions. Verse 2 tells us they persecute the poor. Verse number 7, his mouth is full of cursing and deceit and fraud. Under his tongue is mischief and vanity. So he's a liar. Another thing the Lord hates, a manipulator. So they're predators. Verse number 8, he sitteth in the lurking places of the villages and secret places. Does he murder the innocent? His eyes are privily set against the poor. He lieth in wait secretly as a lion in his den. He lieth in wait to catch the poor. He catcheth the poor when he draweth him into his net. So, he's a predator. He looks after the weakest people, the people who can't protect themselves, the people who can't defend themselves, the, the poorest of the people. He doesn't go after the rich and the strong and the well-defended, but he goes after people who can't defend themselves, have no resources, lies in wait like a lion to, to snatch them up and destroy them. So this is not two powerful people battling it out, but this is someone powerful and strong preying on the weak, lying and manipulating and stealing and, and um, robbing the, the, the poor of all that they have and there's nothing that they can do about it. So this wicked heart defies God. Verse number four, he blasphemes. The wicked through pride of his countenance will not seek after God. God is not in his thoughts. Verse 11, he has said in his heart, God hath forgotten. He hideth his face. He will never see it. blasphemes God. I don't care what God says. It doesn't matter to me what God says. Verse 5 says, His ways are always grievous. Thy judgments are far above out of his sight. As for all of his enemies, he puffeth at them. I don't care what God says. I don't care what God wants. doesn't matter to me. I'll do whatever I want because God's not going to judge me anyway. That's for the weak. That's for the poor. Because look, I do whatever I want and nothing happens to me. You can turn on the news and you can see 
poor people getting arrested for crimes that rich people do every day. And uh, the judge down there, Clay, said that uh, our justice system isn't perfect, but he says he doesn't know of a better one on this earth than, than the one we, that we have. And if we have the best system and people still get away with it, I couldn't imagine what it would have been like in the days of the psalmist or the days when the judges ruled or in other parts of the world even now. The rich and the powerful do what they want and then arrest and persecute the poor people for doing the exact same thing. And then the people look around and say, well, how does this, how? They say, well, God will judge you for that. And then they laugh and say, it doesn't look like he is. I do whatever I want. I don't care anything about the Bible. I don't care anything about the Word of God. Who cares about that? Our leaders in this country. You can't do that. You can't pass those kind of laws. This is against the, 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 the Word of God. And then they'll say, well, you're just trying to be Christian nationalist or, or things such as that. We don't care what God says. We're going to separate our life and our law and our, our walk from what God says. We're going to build a wall and separate the laws of the land from the laws of God. And we'll separate what the state does from what God says. And that way we can do whatever we want because we don't care what God says. Verse 6, he says, he has said in his heart, I shall not be moved. I shall never be in adversity. Adversity. I don't, it doesn't matter to me what God says because God doesn't judge me. Look at my life. I do whatever I want. Why, O Lord? He asks the question again in verse 12. Arise, O Lord, O God. Lift up thy hand. Forget not the humble. And so the psalmist sees all this and says, why don't you arise? Why do you allow the wicked to continue? Why does it seem that you've forgotten the humble and let the proud go free? You said that you hate the proud. You say that you hate the covetous. That's idolatry. The murderer, the liar, the thief. And yet they persecute the humble. Why do bad things happen and these wicked Go free. Why are these bad things happening to me? And yet, there's little to no consequences for their actions. Well, have you ever felt like that? Have you ever thought like that? Now, that's not the way that we ought to think, like I said. But if we're honest, sometimes we do think like that. If we're honest, from time to time, you think, how is it that they can just get away with this? How is it that, that people can just do whatever they want and defy the living God and it seems like nothing happens? And then you, you might look at your life and say, why? I don't understand. Well, that's what this psalm is for. This is where he's at. And he's down in a low place right now. So what's he going to do? And now, if we stopped here, It'd be a terrible, terrible place to stop, wouldn't it? We'd be in a bad, bad shape if we stopped here. 
But that's not what the Bible does for us. It doesn't stop here. It points us to the recovery. It gives us the answer of how we ought to think about this. So at first, he says in verse number one, why standest thou far off? Why hidest thyself in times of trouble? Then in verse 12, he says, arise, Lord, do something. Stand up, come to help. Don't forget the humble. But now we have the recovery in verse 14. Thou hast seen it, for thou beholdest mischief and spite to requite it with the hand, with thy hand. Has anything changed? Nothing has changed. The wicked are still wicked and doing wicked things. The poor are still poor, still being persecuted. Nothing has changed to this point except the psalmist, except the, the prayer. The only thing that has changed is his view of the situation because he comes back to faith. He has faith in God. Yes, it seems like this. Yes, it seems like everything is out of control. But he says, thou hast seen it. First, he wonders, is the Lord even here with us? But he says, no, Lord, you have seen this. You have seen it. It's not getting lost in the shuffle. You're not afar off. You're not unconcerned about what happens, you see it. You behold what's happening. So you say, well, how is that comforting? Well, the next clause says, for thou beholdest mischief and spite to requite it with thy hand. Lord, you see this. You see what's happening. And it's going to, you're going to Required it with judgment. And so the psalmist reminds himself that the Lord is not going to let this stuff go by. The Lord is not going to let the guilty go free. The Lord is not going to let the wicked get off scot-free. Their covetousness is seen by the judge. Their pride is seen by the judge. Their thievery and their, their, their murders their predatory actions, their blasphemies are seen by God. And they are seen by the judge. And he will repay. Verse 15, he says, Break thou the arm of the wicked and the evil man. Seek out his wickedness till thou find none. Who sees it? Well, the judge sees it. The mighty judge. The poor can't do anything. The weak can't do anything. They're prey to these, to these wicked people. But you know who's not weak? You know who's not prey? Was the Lord. And he will break the arm of the wicked. So, you know, this is a, a psalm. You know, the, the Hebrew people sang these songs. So if they, they said, let's get the psalm psalter out. I didn't look to see what it says in all... The one we sing out of, but uh, this isn't I, I come to the garden alone while the dew is still in the roses. This is break the arm of wicked men. Destroy the heathen out of the land. God, judge the wicked. Save us. Protect us. Bring justice to those who 
who are, who are wicked. He's remembering by faith that God is a just judge. And if God is a just judge, and if he's a powerful judge, and if he can do all things whatsoever he pleases, then he rests in the fact that people are not going to get away with their wickedness. One way or the other, the Lord is coming. The judge is coming. And justice will be served. So he comforts himself in, first of all, the Lord sees it. Second of all, that the Lord is a just judge. Third, that he is a helper. At the end of verse 14, he said, Thou art the helper of the fatherless. So he starts out saying, you know, why aren't you helping? But then he's, he reminds himself, no, God is the helper of the fatherless. He has not forsaken us. We're not without our helper. We're, we're not without our protector. He sees what's happening. He is the helper of the fatherless. He is the one who does not forget the, the widow, the fatherless, the orphan. He does not leave them aside. He does not leave them stranded. You have the false gods. You have the gods of war and the gods of, of agriculture, the gods of the weather. They have all gods for all these different people. Our God is a helper of the fatherless. He is a God of grace and a God of mercy, a God of compassion. He says, you haven't forgotten us, Lord. You haven't cast us aside. You're still here with us. Verse 16, he reminds himself that God is king. The Lord, Jehovah, he is king forever and ever. The heathen are perished out of his land. Now, there's a turn of a way of thinking, right? So all the way, the first part of the psalm, you read, they're in the lurking places. They're in secret places like a lion getting ready to pounce on them. They're crouched down, ready to destroy. And so the, the psalmist may think, well, I, I don't even want my, my family out and about. This is too dangerous. I think about that in some place in Charleston. So I, I, I don't want my wife to have to go down to that part of Charleston. That's dangerous. There, there's... High crime in those places. You know, the, there's just not enough police. There's, not, there's just too much going on down there, and it's too dangerous to go down there by yourself. And you think, you know, you know they, they, the, the crime perhaps has taken over. And that's why the psalmist said the crime has taken over, the, the wicked have taken over. There, it, it's their land because they're uh, preying upon people, they're, they're sneaking around like lions. They've taken over. But then he reminds himself, no, that's not quite true. It seems like they have taken control. But the Lord is king forever and ever. My God is the king. They're not in control. My God is in control. The wicked are not ruling things. My God is ruling things. The wicked don't have the last say. My God has the final say. For he is king. He says, it seems like times are getting worse. 
Has God forgotten us? No, he's king today because he's king forever. Oh, but look at all the things that are happening. No, he's king forever and ever. The heathen are perished out of his land. It's not their land. They are persecuting in the king's land. And long after the heathen are dead and gone, the Lord will still be king. Long after I die, the Lord will still be king. And long after you're gone, the Lord will still be king. And so the, his thought is that it's not the heathen's land, but these people are rising up in God's, in God's kingdom. These people are rising up against the king. Not, they're not against the poor. That's what it seems like. They're fighting against the poor. No, they're, they're fighting against the king. In his land. So his thoughts are turning, well, wait a second. They're not getting away with this. It's not the wicked preying upon the poor. That's not the way I'd be thinking about this. This is the wicked are under the nose of the king of kings, blaspheming him, and committing injustices and crimes in his land. They're not going to overthrow him. Judgment is coming. So this encourages him to remember that the Lord is in control. The Lord is sovereign. And he doesn't understand what's happening. He doesn't understand why these bad things happen. He doesn't understand the, 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 the heartache and the, the sorrow he says, the Lord is in control. He is the king. He is the sovereign. And I'm going to trust him for he's good. Because look in verse 17. Lord, thou hast heard the desire of the humble. Now that's a change from verse number 12. O Lord, arise, O Lord, lift up thy hand, forget not the humble. Lord, don't forget about us. Don't don't cast aside, why aren't you here? To verse 17, in his faith, he says, No, Lord, you have heard the desire of the humble. Earlier, don't forget, now he's praying in faith. Not only that, that God doesn't forget them, but that God hears their prayers, has heard their prayers, and is faithful to answer their prayers. So it's a, he, he has stopped himself. So God hasn't forgotten me. God hasn't forgotten the humble. God hasn't forgotten the helpless. God isn't standing afar off. God isn't hiding himself in times of trouble. It seems as if that was the case. God has not forgotten me. He says, no, the Lord has heard me. The Lord has heard the desire of the humble. So this is a prayer of faith. Nothing has changed in the situation. There is no new evidence that has arisen. There's no new circumstances. Says, oh, I can see now God moving in my life. Now I can believe that God hears me. No, he's, he's just come to the conclusion by faith that it's not 
a reason to despair. God is hearing him. He's listening to him. He has heard him. And he said, thou wilt prepare their heart. Thou wilt cause thine eyes to hear. So now he says, Lord, not only have you heard us, but you will prepare the heart of the humble. That will cause thine eyes ear to hear. You'll prepare our hearts. How did the psalmist turn? Well, the Lord has turned his hearts. Turned his heart. The Lord has prepared his heart for this prayer and has prepared his heart to come before the Lord. He will hear. He will answer in verse 17 or 18 to judge the fatherless and the oppressed that the man of the earth may no more oppress. You will prepare our hearts. You will answer our prayer. You will bring justice and righteousness to those who have been harmed and those who are weak and those who are um, apart from, from the care of the world. So he's turned by faith to look to the Lord. And so how, how can you and I look to this and, and be encouraged by this? I know it's a lot of this 90% of it, I guess, is, is very negative. It's very, uh, on, the, on the downside, we might say. But what, what can we learn about this? Well, the first thing we can learn is we can't judge God by what we see and experience now. We can't judge God by what happens today and today alone, by whether or not God is with us or not. So that's the first problem that the psalmist had. He said, this is what's happening to us right now. Why aren't you doing anything? Well, that's walking by sight and not by faith. That, that is saying that God is not involved in our lives unless things are going the way that we want them to go. We're not God. We don't pray God's will be changed to my will. Doing. That's not the way that we're taught to pray. Lord, change your will to do what we want you to do. And so, the first thing we have to remember, when thoughts come into our minds like this, we can't judge God and his motives towards us by what we see and experience now because there, are pur- there is a purpose for all suffering. There's a purpose for all um, hardship. Why does this happen? There's countless reasons why bad things happen. You say, well, why didn't God strike them dead as soon as they did something evil? Why didn't God send a lightning bolt and and destroy the wicked right at the beginning? Well, you and I wouldn't be sitting here if that's how God dealt with humanity, would we? Would we be sitting here if God destroyed destroyed a person any time they sinned? There wouldn't be a person left on the earth, would there? Because we all sin. It also shows God's um, God's long sufferingness in Exodus thirty-four, in verse number six. Listen to what it says here. So this is where the Lord passed before 
Moses, and Moses wanted to see his glory there up on the mount. And the Lord passed before, and the Lord passed by him before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long suffering, abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and that will by no means clear the guilty. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children, upon the children's children, unto the third and fourth generation. So when we experience these things, what we have to do is remember who it is our God is. God has told us this. Why does God not destroy the wicked immediately? Well, first of all, the Lord is merciful and gracious. Because if God destroyed the wicked any time they did wickedness, then you and I would be destroyed. No, he, he showed us mercy, didn't he? He showed us grace. He saved us from our wickedness. The Lord is also long-suffering. He is patient. You and I want stuff done right now. Something happens to us, we, we lose our temper, we lose our patience. And we want judgment and justice right now. Not tomorrow, not next week, right now. The Lord is long-suffering. He suffers long. But does that mean that God will not punish the wicked eventually? No. He will by no means clear the guilty. So we have to remember, God is merciful. He is, he is gracious. He is abundant in goodness and truth. He is long-suffering. But that doesn't mean the guilty get off. So when we see situations happen, remember who your God is. He is a merciful God. He is gracious. But he is long-suffering. And he, is, and he will not acquit the guilty. Our trials are necessary. Why did this happen to the psalmist? Well, one reason is so the psalmist would write this psalm. Why did this bad thing happen to them and these people? So the psalmist would be confused and that he would write this psalm that the Lord would deliver him personally out of, his, um, out of his despair, that he would help the people in despair at this time and then that he would help you and I when we get in despair. So all of their suffering was God's graciousness not only to them because they have stronger faith but for us that we have stronger faith, that we learn from this man's um, desperation. And that trial of their faith was much more precious than gold, and now it can be that the trial of our faith will be much more precious than gold. It increases our faith. Psalm 112.7 says, He shall not be afraid of evil tidings, his heart is fixed. Our hearts are fixed. They're not like the weather vanes that blow and, and go this way and that, whichever way the winds blow. But they're fixed. I saw an imitation weather vane um, at the feed store, and it was fixed. It was welded together. It was just one piece. It was decoration. And so it doesn't matter which way the wind blows on that thing. That rooster is always going to be pointing the same direction. That, that thing was fixed. It's not moving this way and that. That's the way we, we ought to be. 
And that's the way God can help us in times of trouble. It increases our faith to say, I don't know why these bad things are happening, but I know who my God is. And I'm just going to keep pointing towards Him and looking towards Him. I'm not going to sink. I'm not going to despair. God is with us. Sometimes trials chasing us. That we're getting off the path. Maybe the, maybe the psalmist was off the path and God allowed this to happen to get him back on the path. Hardships accomplish God's will. If there was no blaspheming Goliath, there'd be no David the slain. If there was no blaspheming Nebuchadnezzar, there'd be no three Hebrews to defy him and to walk in the fiery furnace. God uses these crooked sticks to draw straight lines in his providence. Also to keep us humble, to know that God will sometimes give us a thorn in the flesh that we may trust in the grace of God. But know, lastly, know that God will not forsake us. We look to God, who He is. We look to His character. We look to His attributes. So that's a good reason to study the attributes of God, the character of God, the nature of God, for He is unchanging. He does not get overtaken by passions or, or um, loses patience, so to speak. To know who God is gives us confidence in Him and to know His promises towards us. So I'll read this and we'll close. Um, Hebrews 13, 5. Let your conversation be without covetous and be content with such things as you have. For he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. And I will not fear what man shall do unto me. See, that's the answer to that psalmist's problem. All that is. All of his problems. The Lord will not leave us. Never. He will never forsake us. We can with confidence say, God is my helper. And I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Let's, uh, let's have a word of prayer and we'll, we'll be dismissed. Ask Caleb to, to pray for us.